When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back, and this is episode 187, Web Tech We Don't Talk About. So stuff like PHP, jQuery, WordPress, a bunch of others, MySQL, there's a big old list here that we want to talk about because even though we don't talk about it, <laughs> it's weird to say that we're going to talk about this, but we don't talk about it, but even though we don't normally talk about it, a lot of this stuff is still very much alive, we even very much use it. And so let's let's talk about it, I guess. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on Patreon, leave a review rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server, share this with your friends. And uh, Mike, you ha- you put out a, a tweet the other day asking about different tech that we don't talk about and this general concept. And I saw a couple responses with some technologies that I actually hadn't even heard of, but we're gonna we're gonna kick it off with something that we that most of us have heard of. PHP. Some some say it in hushed tones. Some people hate it. Some people scream it from the rooftop because they love it. PHP. Mike, take it away. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't think PHP's hated too much. Um, although I might be wrong. There might be some, some person out there in a basement just sitting there and just literally livid with having to work with PHP. Uh, but overall, I, I don't think it's hated. I think it's more that it's just not talked about a lot. And that's really what I want to talk about this episode is I want to talk about a bunch of technology that exists and is very dominant in our field in fact but or in in programming in general even but isn't like you know it's not like the marketing stuff that that people talk about like javascript is talked about a ton right if you go on twitter if you look at blogs read blog posts and there's a reason for that like there's a lot of reasons for the the technology that is talked about but there's plenty of really cool things that aren't talked about, whether it's because they're old or it's because they're back in, like it's hard to show them off or something like that. And we're going to get into the reasons a little bit later. So first thing I want to do is kind of cover some of the technologies that people reached out to us and told us that aren't like they don't see enough of on Twitter. And that's why I created that post. And we're going to have the post linked in, in the show notes so you can check it out yourselves. But there was quite a few responses there. And I kind of took the responses the ones that were obviously most talked about uh, inside of the not talked about post. Again, it's kind of funny that we're doing a, an episode on not talking about something and talking about it at the same time. But regardless, it's it's one of those things where we want to show highlight some of the things that people are frustrated with. Because a lot of the times I see, like whenever I post about JavaScript or, or React or something like that, people come into the, you know, to the comments and been like, why aren't you talking about PHP or why aren't you talking about Angular? And there's reasons for that, uh, especially from my personal, from a personal perspective, there's reasons from that, but uh, there's other reasons as well. And I'm going to kind of appease all those people right now. So I'm going to talk about PHP a little bit and maybe Matt and I will have a conversation about it. We'll see how it goes. And then all the other technology that is going to be, that was in that thread that was mentioned multiple times. So let's start with PHP. PHP is the second most popular non-JavaScript language for the web. 
Python is first, but PHP is the second most popular non-JavaScript language. This is from the State of JavaScript 2021 survey. That survey is pretty comprehensive in terms of the breadth of people that it interviews, but it's not 100% comprehensive. There is a little bit of bias there, but regardless, I think we can take that as a pretty solid answer. Um, if not, maybe on like leaning more towards the Python side. Like I feel like PHP might be somewhere closer to Python than it is in that survey. Uh, but maybe Python is just more, you know, more relevant in today's, in today's ecosystem or something like that. I don't know. But regardless, PHP is a huge language specifically in web development. It's a server-side scripting language uh, that allows you to kind of write dynamic web pages that are statically rendered and thrown to the front end, right? So it, the difference between kind of like front end language, which is JavaScript, which is doing it on runtime on the client side dynamically, and the server side stuff is that the client, the computer that that uh, the person is using to view the web page, isn't doing all the calculation stuff, isn't doing all the rendering of like conditional uh, elements, isn't doing any of the looping over like a, an array of elements that uh, they need to display in like a grid format. It's all happening on the server. The page is being dynamically built all on the server, and then that HTML and CSS is then sent to the client to be able to be read. So that's. That's where PHP kind of shines, and that's where it's shined for, you know, probably a couple decades at this point. It's the main, it was kind of the main counterpart to JavaScript ever since we started. Ever since Matt and I got in, it was like, okay, learn JavaScript for the front end, learn PHP for the back end. It's shifted a little bit now where it's gone a little bit to more like JavaScript on the front end and JavaScript on the back end or random other framework on the back end and JavaScript on the front end or headless CMS on the back end and JavaScript on the front end. Anyway, there's like a million different ways you can do it now, but talk like 15 years ago, 10 years ago, everyone was using PHP on the back end other than the few Java heads that, uh, that were stuck on in the Java ecosystem. But it's interesting to me that like, there's just so much to PHP still and in fact, in in my opinion, it's kind of had a little bit of a renaissance with something like Laravel. And this is something that was also mentioned in the comments of that Twitter post is like, I see a lot of people talking about Laravel, which is a PHP framework, like similar to how React is a JavaScript framework. Laravel is a PHP framework on the back end, and it's really becoming really popular. And in fact, it's like combined constantly with Vue.js. So like, that's like a really popular stack now, Laravel on the backend, Vue.js on the front end, for whatever reason. I'm not really sure why they're tied together, but I've seen that a lot. Um, and it's now starting to be talked about kind of like in a popular way and it's bringing PHP back up. But PHP as a separate language is rarely, rarely talked about as a popular thing. And th there's, a, again, a bunch of reasons for that. We'll get into it a little bit later in the show, but uh, it's an interesting concept. And I think like... Matt, what's your experience with PHP? What do you think about it? Uh, I don't, I don't really do much back end development, but I do use a bunch of tools to make websites, and you know, one of those tools is WordPress, which we will touch on. But WordPress does run on PHP, and I have, as a result of working with WordPress, built little apps here and there to sort of access databases and stuff. Not full on websites or anything special, but I have done that with PHP and. To me, it's sort of PHP is the reason why I said it was hated is because I remember us, we, you and I actually went to a startup event or some sort of business event. And I was just talking to one guy and he's like, Oh, what are you building? And I was like, Oh, you know, we're just, you know, we're, we're, we run an agency and, you know, we're in between projects right now, or maybe we were doing something. I don't remember what I said, some sort of small talk thing. And he said, Well, I'm, you know, and I asked him, What are you building? And his response was, Well, you're going to hate it. And he kind of like whispered it. And I was like, We're going to hate it. Like, what are you building? 
And he's like, oh, like I'm building it in PHP. <laughs> and then he like told me the project and yada, yada. And I was like, oh, like, I don't care. And he's like, oh, PHP is so fast. And he just loved it. So I think PHP and I think a lot of these will fall into this category where there's a stigma against all of them, probably in some way, shape or form, especially since we don't talk about them. Uh, but they're very widely used. It's one of those it's one of those things where it's it maybe it's the older way to do it, but you can still absolutely do it that way. And you can still absolutely make modern sites with PHP and you can still absolutely do a bunch of cool things. It might not be the cool thing on the block or whatever, uh, but it, it it very much falls into that that question that we addressed in one of our previous episodes, one of our recent episodes, where a lot of technology falls into the cracks when it comes to marketing. Because PHP is so old, there's no real reason to market it anymore. And influencers and other people won't talk about it too much. Short of maybe a guide here and there to help people that are using it, but it, it it's lost its 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 excitement, if you will. And so, I I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with PHP. I know some people hate it for security and they hate it for this and that. But it's kind of I've always kind of put those into the camp of there's pros and there's pros and cons, and there's pros and cons with everything. And that these these uh, caveats or these problems that people have with PHP. Some of them may be really bad, you know, some of them may be uh, maybe biased, like, you know, you just hate how functions are declared or something, and that's like a, a preference thing. So it's like, a, it's maybe not biased, but a preferential thing. It's based upon like each, each person. This person loves how the functions are declared, this person hates it. But I will say that I don't think PHP is going anywhere, um, especially with WordPress, which again, we'll touch on. And I, uh, and, and honestly, I, I think the market actually shows this. Uh, if you really look at the market today, there's a lot of, you know, fancy hosting things out there, Netlify, and, you know, you're mentioning Vercel and a bunch of other stuff like that, DigitalOcean, AWS, Azure, there's a bunch of stuff out there, but you still have these big, these big companies, and you can tell they're big because they still have 24-7 support and everything, that host a lot of sites, just the generic, like shared, I guess the now generic sort of shared hosting stuff that just runs the what would what would be the lamp stack i suppose where it just has they just give you cpanel and then they'll give you apache then they'll give you mysql like that and there's a bunch of other little things in there webmail this and that the whole the whole like whatever whole shebang to make it easy to to spin up a site especially a wordpress one one click installers all the rest of it that type of hosting is very popular it's still very popular it's what most of our clients run on. So whereas it's nice to be in this new sphere of running JS in the front and JS in the back and doing this and that for me, because I'm doing a lot of kind of customer support and keeping sort of small business clients or um, sort of the, uh, the older websites running. I'm always in the cPanel space. I'm always in that lamp stack. It is the lamp stack, right? I always forget that. You're right. Okay, it is the lamp stack, right? So, because um, I just don't refer to it, it's just second nature to me. Like when I tell Mike I'm I'm messing around in the host, like, he knows that I'm not in DigitalOcean. He knows that I'm not messing around in Azure. He knows that when I say that I'm in some sort of you know shared hosting or VPS or dedicated, but it's with that sort of managed cPanel with the lamp stack, the whole kind of shebang. Um, so I think PHP really speaks for itself in the fact that it. It's sort of big in in that space, and obviously that market is still rather large. 
Yeah, I, I think I think that's you kind of nailed it. And I think the lamp stack is something that's another one of those things that people don't talk about a lot, but is used a ton still. And like probably a lot more like a big portion of the web. I don't know the exact percentages, but a big portion of the web is still probably running on the lamp stack and uh, learning it today. If you think it's one of those things that oh, it'll go away in, in a few years. No, lamp stack is going to be around for a while. Um, and the main thing is like Apache is such a solid piece of software that's been through a lot of iterations and that's like just solidified itself as a great kind of HTTP, you know, per server that running PHP on it is also, you know, it's a native functionality of Apache. So you don't have to do any of this crazy, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to call like AWS and Vercel and all those things crazy, but it is a little bit on standard at this point. And there, there are a few other caveats that you have to take take into account when you're doing that kind of stuff because it is newer it's on the edge um it's not as solidified in 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 our ecosystem right so when you're when you're putting running up a site or you're putting up a site it could be a little bit more difficult uh in certain ways but regardless like it's an interesting concept that like php has been around for so long and it's been one of these like staple languages of web development and it's gone through cycles, in my opinion. Like there's, there's a lot of things that, that you can say about like these things where every, everything went client side, maybe like five or, or seven years ago, everyone was like, Oh, we should do everything on the client, right? Before that, everything was on the server. And so PHP was a big dominant force back then in terms of like the, the popularity of talking about it on social media and all that. But. All of a sudden, recently, in my opinion, there's been this shift towards going back to the server side. So it's like a cyclical thing where PHP can gain back more momentum. It's not a dead language in any way, shape or form. Uh, it's something that's going to stick around. It's something that's still being updated and iterated upon as well. It's not like it's been just, you know, we, we finished it. No one said that we finished PHP. It's still being updated. It's still being secured. Um, it's just... There's other newer things, like Matt said, like there's other newer, cooler things that you can do. And that's what people want to talk about. And PHP is not one of those things that's more solidified. If I, if I could jump in sort of with something I just thought of, and, and that is that when we're talking here and you're listening here, you know, we're largely in the tech space and we're largely in the development space. And what a lot of these technologies kind of bring attention to, and PHP is no exception, is that when you're in the space and you're in the development, when you're in that tech, you are in it and you're in that sort of tech culture. And the tech culture is to always push forward, find new things, invent new things, create new things, better UX, better, better UI, more use cases, you know, change how things work, shake up the infrastructure, get rid of the old, you know, out with the old, in with the new. That's the tech space. But the tech space is realistically the it's it's realistically designed or let's say it's output. The output of the tech space is for the public, is for the consumers. And so you can apply this to many areas of tech. If you were an IT person and you were called out to a job at someone's house because their computer wasn't booting, that computer might be 12 years old. And it's worked all this time and it just conked out now. To you, your reaction would be, whoa, like what, you know, what are you doing with this thing? And we've all had that type of reaction from IT people, maybe not us because we're in tech, but 
We've seen that reaction from other people like, hey, why why are you using a furnace that's so old or why are you using this that's so old or why are your windows not up to date? Stuff like this, because we're not in those spaces. And the person that that IT person, that IT personnel was like going to help that person that had the 12 year old computer does not have the same uh, connection, I suppose you could say, to tech. That computer is a tool. It was used for writing. It was used for emailing, whatever it was used for browsing. And it's a tool. At the end of the day, that's what that is. And so whereas we might be taken aback by someone not having the latest computer, someone not having the latest phone, or in this case, someone might not have the latest stack or have the latest hosting or have the fastest this or have the fastest that, to a lot of these businesses, it's just a tool. If you think about a business at large and you think about, or a business that is, let's say, Oh, no, I guess a business at large would be the correct way to say it. So let's say like a big website out there. I don't know. Let's just take a, a popular blog, CSS Tricks, for example. I'm just making all this up about them. But we all know CSS Tricks and or for the most part, and they write a bunch of content. Are you interested in the content that they write or are you interested in what stack their site is using? Now, there's going to be some crossover there because CSS Tricks attracts web developers and web developers might be interested in that stack. But realistically speaking, you want to see the content. This is doubly true, if not more, for places that aren't tech-based or that aren't web tech-based even. Something like a big publication like IGN, their business is more or less the content, the videos, the written, the blog, all that stuff, the interviews, everything. It runs online. It needs a lot of web tech to keep that thing up and running. And it uses third-party services like YouTube. It has its own website. It has its own app, right? It's a big business, but it doesn't It doesn't matter what it's running on to the people that are making that content. They're not saying, man, I really wish this website, which runs pretty well, was, was not on PHP. So we have to kind of, when we, when we deal with a customer when we deal with the public, let's say, or someone that's not in the tech space, you have to sort of take a step back and realize this person is using their phone, their computer, their website, their business. It, like they're using tools in their business. Their business is not our business. So you have to respect that. And when someone comes to you and says something like, I really need you to upgrade this really old site and you have to use PHP to do so, or I really want to stay with WordPress and I don't want to go with one of your fancy things. It's because they learn to use WordPress and they don't want to pay and they don't want to learn. They don't, they don't not even the payment. Sometimes they don't want to pay with their time to relearn another CMS. They don't want a custom thing because they want, they know that WordPress has worked because WordPress just gives them the tools to put out their content, to put out their, their e-commerce store or whatever else it does for them. And that's it. So you have to realistically to kind of sum this up, you have to acknowledge that we're in tech. We're in the development space and stuff that's appalling to us is not appalling to them, to the general public, because they're, they're not versed in tech. They're not in it. They're not invested in it. They're not researching it every day and they're using it as a tool. And that's it. Yep. That's my piece. <laughs> I like that. That was a good, that was a good little rant there for, uh, in favor of all these older technologies. And I, I completely agree. I think a lot of the times people just get, quote unquote, comfortable in their stack. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. They, they learn how to do something really well. 
And a perfect example of that is WordPress. Like WordPress is a very, very popular framework. That's the next thing I want to talk about. There's a, there's some people out there that can do amazing things with WordPress. Stuff that I couldn't do with any other language. It doesn't matter. Like they're getting, you know, 100% scores on every page that they make on, on PageSpeed. Now they know WordPress in and out at this point. And it doesn't matter. Like, yes, maybe it's a little bit more difficult to get WordPress to that state. But if you know a language really well, you can outperform people that know an even more efficient language, like just medium well, or like just, just understanding it, right? You know what I mean? An expert in one language is much more valuable than just a generalist in terms of create, getting the most out of your, out of the, um, out of the website's performance, no matter what the language is, in my opinion. So that's where I kind of want to bring it back to this thing where, something like WordPress, it's widely used and there's a reason why it's widely used. It's really easy to spin up. It has a lot of functionality. Like I'm just going to like, just talk about a few things that it has. It's a fully featured CMS. So it has the back end and front end all worked out for you. It's a one, it's a single installation, right? So you don't have to worry about like, where am I going to host the front end? Where am I going to host the back end? How are they going to communicate? It, it does all that for you. That's a big positive. A lot of the popular stuff right now is kind of separated. And there's positives and negatives to that too. And we talked about it in many of the different episodes. I'm not going to go into it, but there is this like draw for people that just want to get the job done to get something that can just do everything at once. Because at the end of the day, they just need to solve the problem. And really as a developer, as someone that's going into the industry, that's what you're going to find that you're going to get drawn to eventually. No matter how you know crazy you are about new technology and making sure that you get there, when, when there's a task in front of you, you're going to want to be able to figure out what's the best tool to solve that problem in the shortest amount of time that can give me all the functionality that I need. It doesn't matter what it is at the end of the day. You just have to get that. That's the, that's the, the tagline that you have to say to yourself and you have to find the tool that does it for you. And that's it. And that's again, WordPress does that for you. It has a huge library of plugins. No, I don't think any other ecosystem has that many plugins as, as WordPress does. Like you can get, you can get WordPress to do anything. Now, again, there's some disadvantages because like you can get into plugin hell and dependency hell really quickly. <laughs> and you, security, security loophole. Like there's, I'm, I'm not sugarcoating the fact that WordPress has all this stuff. There is a lot of negatives towards that. But if you're a good WordPress developer, like Nat Miltek, we're going to have him on the podcast soon, by the way. He's, he's a fantastic WordPress developer. Like the, the stuff that he's done with WordPress, he showed me is mind boggling because it's something that like anyone would have trouble to doing with any modern framework. So if you're really good with it, the the web is powered by WordPress. I'm not saying the whole web, but there's a very, very big chunk out there that's powered by WordPress. You can get into a lot of different niches just by helping people. And the crazy thing is, is that Matt was just talking about like, hey, the non-tech people don't care, don't care. But when you go into a client, a lot of them are just going to be like, hey, can I have WordPress? Yeah, and you're gonna 100%. be like, well, I, yeah, because they know the name. It has name recognition, but like, you're gonna be you're you're gonna go back to them and be like, well, why don't I just do Webflow or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And they're gonna be like, no, 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 I I know WordPress. I've used it for ten years. Uh, can you can you just do WordPress? That's gonna be the conversation you're gonna have. I'm not gonna lie. Like, if you're going into the industry, the freelancing industry, you're gonna have that conversation at least once, probably more times, and you're gonna have to settle for WordPress because that's what the client knows, right? So. It's one of those things like we don't talk about it a lot. And this is, we, th- it's already been talked about a million times because it's around and it's not going anywhere. In fact, in my opinion, it's be- again, it's like PHP. It's having a little bit of a resurgence because 
there's people out there like Nat that can do these crazy things with WordPress and make it super efficient. So there's that positive aspect coming back to it. And then there's the fact that WordPress is embracing the future as well with like, hey, we're adding headless CMS functionality to it. They're adding stuff to it. Again, it's not one of those things that's just like been dead. They didn't stop developing it. They're still improving it. They're seeing all these other frameworks come out and they're like, well, how can we make WordPress better? That's still happening. So that's why like when it's going to be a very common theme with all these other different uh, technologies that we're going to talk about, where it's like all this competition from the other stuff that is talked about from React and Vue and Svelte and stuff like that, that is in the popular sphere is influencing the stuff that isn't talked about and giving them a chance to come back into the into the marketing sphere into the influencers and and tech and uh, tech you know enthusiast spheres which is awesome in my opinion again it, competition is all I care about in in any industry the more competition that's why I'm never gonna bash react or Vue or Svelte in a in a in a serious note like I'll bash them for fun I'll bash all three I'll bash any framework for fun but in a serious note they're all they're all really good pieces of technology and the fact that they all exist helps them all get better and they take features from each other and they, you know, they, they, they each have to innovate and stuff like that. That's the way it's going to move forward. That's the only way. The thing with WordPress as well is, is that we were always against WordPress for the longest time. We even have uh, a client that's on WordPress and we, you know, originally told them, Hey, you know, we, we, we would prefer to take you off of WordPress eventually this and that, but having seen their use case over time, not only opened up the door in our in our thinking to wow this person actually does need WordPress to also be like I guess WordPress has this particular use case like for example um, this particular user would ask for brand new features not all the time but enough at the at least at the time of of doing it where it would be like oh you need a full survey thing now oh you need a uh, I'm just making some of this stuff up now, but it's like, hey, you need a new, like you need a membership site now. You need some e-commerce here. You need this, you need that. Yeah, I could go to a bunch of third parties and plug all this stuff in. And some of the plugins that I use on WordPress are for third party, you know, to connect to the site. But WordPress gives you the option to literally go into a marketplace, like effectively an app store and choose and pick and choose a solution that would work. We had one, we had one, uh, contact where it was like hey you know we really want to redirect some of these links and in a custom site it's like you have to go and do a bunch of custom stuff to get that to work of course you have to go in and change how you know this and that works and you know however complex your link setup is and however you however you handle your blog posts and how new links are generated and stuff you're gonna have to go around and mess with that but with wordpress there's redirection links uh, there's re redirection plugins. There's a bunch of other stuff. And this is obviously where plugin hell can kind of come in where you go too far with the plugins. And this is, I think, where WordPress gets a lot of its bad rap because as you add more plugins, as you add more of this and that, you get more popularity. So now you have all these plugins, which could have security holes. Then you have WordPress itself, which can have security holes. And it's a target because it's so big. But at the end of the day, it's like Windows has a lot of viruses because it's so popular. You know, it's just one of those things that's, you know, unfortunate, but it's, it is popular. And I know a lot of people use Macs, especially in the development space, and there's less malware for Macs, but there still is malware for Macs. Um, and there'll be more, I'm sure, as Macs gain popularity, if they gain popularity specifically in terms of moving the needle in their market share. But 
my 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 point is with WordPress is that it's it it's just it's just another way to make a site and it gets updated and you know it has this bad rap but you can make money as a WordPress dev not even as an agency you can make plugins and sell those plugins and make a living. You can do that mixed with building WordPress sites for, for clients. There's, you can choose how you want to edit your pages on WordPress. I don't think of, I, I can't think of a single other service, not off the top of my head, that allows you to do that. You can choose Elementor. You can go and use Beaver Page Builder. You can go and use Visual Composer. You can use, uh, there's probably more. There's probably more ways to build a page on WordPress than I, than I am even aware of at this point. But when you go to something like Webflow, Webflow, it's like you're using the Webflow editor. Like you're using the designer and you're using the editor and then that's it. That's all you get. You don't get anything else. There's no like, well, I'd kind of like to use Elementor for this. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. Stuff like that. So whereas other places do have plugins, you know, WordPress, like Mike said, is by far Probably the largest, probably the largest or at least really damn big in terms of plugins. And it really does. It really can make modern sites and performance sites and high functioning sites like, like memberships and e-commerce and all those like sort of high functionality things. It can really make those sites and run well. Even today, it's not just some old thing that should be kicked kicked around and thrown out eventually. Correct. I think it gets the bad rap, just like you said, because it's so generalist, because it's so uh, low effort, like low, low, uh, low barrier, right? So anyone can go in there, someone that's never touched web development and spin up a WordPress site because there's services out there that can do it. Now, those sites, if you don't know anything about web development, those sites can get hacked really easily. Yes. Those sites might not be as efficient, yes, because you don't know anything. But there's so many people out there that are doing that, that yeah, it gives them a bad rap. If you're a good developer in JavaScript, PHP, any language, you're going to know what to do better and you can get a lot out of WordPress. Like I said, we're, we're going we're gonna to have... Uh, we're going to have someone on soon, like Nat. We're going to have Nat on soon that will explain some of this stuff. We're going to be mostly talking about SEO, but I'll, I'll kind of query him on WordPress a little bit. But there's a lot you can do with it. And just trust me on the fact that it's still being developed. It's still being, um, if it be becoming more efficient and stuff like that. And you can, you can get a lot out of your site if you know what you're doing. That's another kind of caveat. Now to move on here, uh, the next, the next technology that people ask for is MySQL. So this is just a relational database query language. It's open source. So it allows you to spin up a relational database that you can query for anything. And I think this one, I don't really understand why it's not talked about more because I think it's still used very, very, you know, on a, on a huge scale. Even though that's something like MongoDB, which is a NoSQL language, which is not relational, it's just like a, a block of t a block of JSON files and stuff like that, file-based language, file-based database. Uh, even though that that or I don't remember the actual term, but even though that is talked about maybe a little bit more right now, and NoSQL is becoming more popular. It is not a thing that fits all use cases. If you need relational data, like a, a customer belong, belonging to a company or and like a user belonging to an organization, very typical database structures that probably every company needs, you're, you're, you're going to go 
with a relational database, especially if you have multi-relations, then because you have, if you if you go with a non-relational like Mongo, you are the one that has to track those relations. You have to write those controllers. You have to put in the right relational data into each and every spot and make sure that it's tracked across board. That is not something that you would have to do with something like MySQL, which is again, a free open source database. And Matt mentioned the LAMP stack earlier. That's, this is part of the LAMP stack, which is so popular all, ac- all the way across the board. Now, personally, I don't have a lot of experience with query language, like querying a database. Like, honestly, I don't, I, I prefer to outsource any sort of database work. Honestly, I don't have a lot of, um, experience with it. I have been starting to use something called Planet Scale, which uses, uh, SQL based database in the back end, but it allows you to kind of query that SQL, the, the relational data using a more JavaScript friendly language, like a more JavaScript friendly layer and allow you to kind of write really simple queries. So that's where I'm more comfortable. So that I don't have a lot to say on MySQL because I don't use it a lot, but I know it's like a huge part of the industry still. And I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't think there's anything like Postgres, I think is something that's big as well. That's, re- I don't know if it's going to replace it because I think MySQL is still better at larger data sets or something like that. But it's one of those things that like, it's weird to me that it's not talked about a lot, but I guess it's one of those situations where maybe not da- databases in general are just not talked about. You know, it, it is one of those things because I've, I've talked to Mike about this before and, you know, I've, I've set up my, my fair share of MySQL and actually MS or Microsoft SQL as well. And uh, more or less the servers themselves for MS SQL. And then I've set up a lot of databases for MySQL, but I don't really know much about database stuff. You know, we have a contractor we work with that does most of our database stuff. I don't really know how to do queries too well. I know what queries are and I've, I've done them, but I don't really mess with queries too much, uh, to be honest. And it's, it's one of those things where it's been in the LAMP stack for so long. Um, you know, possibly from the beginning, I don't really know the history, but it's been in the LAMP stack for so long and it's been in these, these hosts that we use for so long that I just know how to import, export this and that. Uh, use PHP, my admin, you know, as old as that looks and stuff like that. You know, it's just a very functional thing. And, and when it comes to that database, once again, you know, the database is very much a tool. As long as it's serving them blog posts and serving that content, you know, you're kind of golden in that way, especially since it's so available, it's open source, so it's free in this case and all that type of stuff. It's, it's very, um, it's very much always there, but in the background. At least for me, because I don't deal with too much of the queries and stuff like that. And so that, that that's just my exposure to SQL. And having even worked in enterprise environments where I was in the IT department, a lot of the databases we were using, and like I said, MS SQL, MySQL, didn't mess with Mongo, didn't mess with this and that. There wasn't anything else. I know there's other ones, but like it, it was just the SQLs, My and, and MS. So it's one of those things where it, it it's just, it's not glamorous. So we don't really chat about it. It's not like, man, take a look at my database, you know, uh, but it's it's there and it, it's it's certainly an option. And I don't think it's going anywhere either. I think the other part of it is maybe it's just like it's one of those things that only enterprise level stuff matters. The, the, the deep conversations only matter in the enterprise level because the basic SQL stuff, it doesn't it's not there's nothing interesting about it. But once you start going like scaled SQL where you have to worry about like a million connections all at once, like simultaneous connections, simultaneous queries. Then you start talking about, uh, you know, sharding and start talking about load balancing your database and putting your database on different servers. Like that stuff starts to get really interesting and complicated, but it's also so far away from 
the typical, you know, social media or development article kind of person that is just, it can't penetrate that sphere. Um, so maybe it's something to do with the advance because I've noticed another like trend that I've seen is that most of the conversation inside of our de- develop, like, you know, tech Twitter or whatever is targeted towards junior developers. That's just the reality because there's just so many more junior developers than there are seasoned developers, especially developers that want to be participating in the tech conversation. Mm-hmm. They're usually a newer developers. Um, I mean, just to be like completely transparent, anytime that we mention junior developer inside of a title on of our podcast episode or anytime I mention it on Twitter posts, it's going to do better in terms of engagement and uh, statistics than anytime I talk about something like PHP or WordPress. That's just the reality of it. So this kind of psych- cyclical effect of uh, the junior not caring so much about enterprise level technologies is is a very, very t- typical trend in everything that I'm going to talk about as well right now. You know, I actually have a question uh, as an aside, and it's related to this. It's related to these texts, though. Is I was asked a question recently, and it was, um, you know, why is it that we use cPanel so much, um, especially when with American and Canadian companies? And I was asked this uh, by by our contractor actually, and and I didn't really have a, a like a solid answer. I don't have like the data in front of me, but the thing that we had discussed was that I kind of got the impression that it was due to the education. Now, not that I've been in you know more than my like the classrooms I've been in. It's not like I've been researching schools, but certainly in in a little bit of high school, um, and or maybe high school, but certainly college, we learned cPanel. And my thought was, is this due to the education? Now, to relate that conversation back to this is that I wonder whether the modern classes are not teaching cPanel anymore. They're not t- teaching MySQL. They're not teaching WordPress. Maybe they're they're touching on it as a part of the history part, and then they're not they're not continuing. And then they're talking about the new tech, and maybe they're even they're even saying, get yourself out there on social media. And do and do some content stuff, or you know, get noticed. Now, you know, I'm dating myself, but Facebook came out when I was in high school, um, and we started using it then. But because it was so new, it wasn't really used as a tool. Um, you know, we didn't really know what it was. It's more or less just a goof off. But I wonder now that it's been around for so long. I wonder if these classrooms are covering sort of the more fancier, the more not, maybe not fancier, but the more modern technologies when it comes to web tech. If it's in a, a web programming class. And I wonder if they're covering, if they're telling people to hit up social media or if it's just a generational thing in which they grew up with social media and they know what it is. Um, but I, it's just something that I, you know, an observation that I made. Yeah. I have a small theory about that. Um, I think the traditional classes are probably still 10 years behind, just like we, when we were there, they were 10 years behind. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's the traditional classes that are kind of shifting the focus away from something like cPanel. Um, I think in terms, like if we talk directly at cPanel, they themselves have maybe started to take a hit from the, the popularity of something like Vercel and Netlify and all that. So they had to actually increase their prices significantly. So that has led to cPanel being much less used way more than any sort of education stuff because a lot of these shared hosting platforms are actually like moving away from cPanel. They, they're for, like cPanel is forcing them to move away because they can't afford the plans that they currently have 
using cPanel. So they're moving to like open source alternatives. I can't remember what they are, but they're usually not that great. Um, I've had experience with a couple of them now, but I think it's more that. And the fact that most of the new developers coming into like being junior developers that are on tech Twitter, that are on social media are actually more self-taught and maybe boot camp taught than traditional education. Because in, ter- in just in general, the migration for uh, the great migration towards development started kind of early COVID, right? Because people were like, well, we have to work from home. We have to find something to do. And a lot of people started to learn development because that was a high paying job that you can do from home. And that was all done either through online boot camps or through, you know, online courses or just self-taught completely. Like a lot, I know a, a significant amount of developers that I talk to are purely self-taught. They're, they never went through any education system. Um, so I think that's becoming the trend as well. And obviously when you go through self-taught, then this, you know, the Twitter sphere and the social media sphere is much more influential. So then yes, you never, you, you might never see a cPanel. Like I, I know a few devs that have come up that have probably never touched cPanel in their lives at all. They only use these new hostings like AWS or Antify or Vercel. Like they only use those hostings. So they don't touch anything. So that's another reason why, like, again, PHP is not talked about as much. That's another reason why WordPress isn't talked about as much because the newer devs that just came into development are kind of focused on the stuff that's relevant inside of the social sphere more than they're focused on the older technology that they would have been taught in traditional classes. You know, I actually have a question about this too. Like, like, like based upon what you said is I wonder how this is going to affect technology. Um, you know, being in it, I always look for the negative or the problem. I shouldn't say the negative, the, the, the issue. And one issue I could see forming could be total bullshit, could be totally incorrect about this. I want to be clear. But if people are focusing on what's in sort of the zeitgeist and what's in what's popular, what's on Twitter, whatever, we already complain, okay, about tech, about how it's cobbled together and, you know, it's kind of thrown together and it takes years and years and years and years for it to get refined, even though it could have been refined earlier and stuff like that, because it takes a while for everyone to migrate and, you know, everyone to get high speed internet from dial up and stuff like that, right? It takes a while for things to propagate effectively. I wonder if this is, if we're going to see a negative, and again, this is total speculation, but in that if you're always focusing on what's new, are we going to have a new frameworks rushed out for marketing purpose? So are we going to have Svelte come out? And again, I'm making this up, but Svelte comes out, you know, it's kind of new-ish, whatever. It gets a couple of years on its belt and then some, something else comes out. Like let's say Vue came out. Again, totally made up scenario. Vue comes out and everyone's talking about Vue. Everyone loves it. And now it's like, Svelte's like, well, shit, we got to make a new, got to make something else. And so Svelte kind of goes by the wayside and they go and they make a new framework to stay in that zeitgeist, to stay up to date. Are we going to see that? And with that, sort of rapid changing, I suppose, rapid evolution, are we going to see a hell of a lot of bugs? Are we going to see a hell of a lot of problems? Or are we going to, or, you know, we are we going to see a lot of innovation very quickly because of competition? I don't know, but I could see it becoming more about chasing the zeitgeist than chasing solid tech, if that makes sense. I think with, with stuff like Svelte View and React and stuff like that, those aren't really profit driven organizations. Good point. Very good point. Um, so they're, I don't see that being too much of a concern. Like for them, they're like, for instance, Rich Harris, the creator of Svelte, he worked at New York Times while he was creating Svelte. He just left New York Times to kind of work full time on Svelte. 
a few months ago and he got hired at Vercel to work full time on Svelte. You know what I mean? Like he's not he's not making millions uh, creating a framework. So those aren't scalable, profitable solutions. Like they're, they're not scalable, profitable companies. Where I do see this happening, honestly, is no code tools. No code oh. tools are popping up left, right and center. And all of them have different plans. They're they're very profit VC driven technologies. And I think they're being released too quickly because people are seeing a space there and they want to compete for that, you know, the top be in the top two or top three with the Wix and Squarespaces because there's a lot of profit to be had there. But, you know, if, if 30 of them come out last year, which is potentially the case, like 30 solid big ones, there's probably even more smaller ones, then, you know. 28 of those are probably going to die. Like that's the reality of it. And I think, again, there's a positive and negative to that because I think this forces innovation and forces uh, and reverses stagnation in the industry. But there is going to be a situation where someone's going to be making the bad, bad decisions just to get out in front of someone else and, you know, create a security loophole or security issue or uh, performance issues and et cetera. Or just, just UX, to get that feature even, out. you know, yeah. just, just bad UX, like bad, bad UX, uh, you know, for really cheap or something, you know, yep. just to sort of get out there and be like, man, this is the cheapest no code tool. That's a good observation about the no code tools. I never really thought of that. And what really sucks about the no code tools too, is that if it's self-hosted, so if the if it's like an all-in-one package where you're purchasing it from Wix, purchasing the you know the, the whole thing, you got the, you got your templates, your designs, your you know out, the whole thing, whatever you're whatever you're putting together, you put it together, you throw it on their hosting, and Wix say goes by the wayside, like it, it shuts down. I mean, what's going to happen? Your your SOL, uh, your, your SOL, or yeah. or are these things getting to the point where they're trying to build each other, or they're trying to build up to the point where? They're too value, not necessarily too valuable to fail, but they're too valuable not to be purchased. And then we're starting to see this startup culture where you try to, you know, sell your product enough so that Google buys you. That's a, that's the thing. I think that's gonna that's where everyone is rushing towards. This is this is my issue with the problem is that VCs most likely invest in those companies to to hope that someone else will buy them. Right? Like the two the two opportunities for VCs to make their money back either go public or buy. Public is very difficult to make any sort of profit in. Like you have to be in the top tier company. Mm-hmm. You have to be known across the world. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have to be so big, uh, but to be bought, that's, that's the low barrier to, to getting your money back at, you know, at 10 X. So having this mindset that you're going in to build a no cold platform to be bought is in my opinion, bad. That's not the right mindset because, like you said, what if some the per, the person that buys them is someone is a competitor and they just shut them down, and then those managed hosting platforms like Wix and Squarespace, if one of those shuts down, you, damn, like that's a big <laughs> portion a of the web that's gone, right? Now the chances of that happening are very low. Like I'm not I'm not saying take your take your take your uh, sites off there. Don't do that. But it, it is a concern when talking about a new framework. So like. Do your own research when you're starting with a new no code tool because you don't know if it's going to be around. Make sure that you can export the files. Make sure that you can host it yourself and stuff like that. Because if you can't, then you're relying on something that could, you know, run out of VC funding and be gone in the, in the, in the next couple of weeks or in the next couple of months or in the next couple of years. So like it, it, we, we've kind of got sidetracked, but it is part of the conversation in terms of what's talked about and what's not because like if it's. If you keep running towards the money and if you keep running towards the exit, then it could potentially sour the industry. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that, it was a good point to bring up, Matt. You know, you know what? Actually, like I'm not going to go on a rant or anything, but I do want to mention really quick to the listener right now is, uh, and, and to you, Mike, as well, is that I I want to talk to a no code creator now. Uh, I think I'd like I'd love to actually have a, a, a pod, probably a podcast episode with them, or even just a meeting, and and learn about learn about you know their ambitions and why you know wh- why didn't you go to Wix and like ask those questions because. Because, you know, like, what's your intention here? Is it to get purchased? Is it not? Like, and some of that stuff, maybe they won't tell you. They'll keep that under wraps or whatever. But I would love to know the intention, especially when VC uh, funded projects in general, not just web stuff, usually are like run super heavy. So they're in like massive amounts of debt. They're burning money like crazy just to potentially get purchased. Like that happens a lot. Even when you're like, man, this no code tool's got 10 million users. It's like. Yeah, but you know they're running at seven hundred million a month, or that's all made up. But you know, you get you get my drift. So I, I I'm curious. I'm very curious. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we can arrange something like that with the no code creator. We'll, we'll we'll try to reach out. I know a, I know a couple of people that are in this space. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to have that conversation. But yeah, uh, on to the next one here, and it's a big one: jQuery. So people ask for jQuery. Why why don't we talk about it? Um, but let's talk about it quickly. Uh, essentially, jQuery is a JavaScript library that makes it so that you write less, do more inside of JavaScript. And it was, it's been around for a very long time. Uh, it's lightweight-ish. And I, I say ish, like I, I've seen this kind of mentioned across the research that I was doing that it's lightweight. But in terms of what, it depends on what you bring it in for. Like if you're bringing it in to add a, a single div to your entire page and that's all you're doing with it, then maybe it's not so lightweight. <laughs> like maybe you should do that in, or maybe you should have done that in, in uh, JavaScript. And I say should have because there's a reason for that. I'll, I'll say that in a second. But it did feature, it does feature a ton of t- utilities that you can use right away inside of JavaScript that did not exist in JavaScript when jQuery was super popular and in the zeitgeist. Like right now, it's still, I would say, pretty popular in terms of the usage because it's been it's been a kind of a grandfathered into a lot of projects and a lot of uh, frameworks. In fact, there's a lot of older frameworks that package jQuery into it WordPress. and rely on it. Yeah, as a dependency. Uh, so it's still being used. Like it's still hugely used. Like no matter what you say, like it's still a very big part of the web development. But it is on the downward trend because of the fact that there are the features that I'm going to say right now are starting to be built into JavaScript. So there's, there's less reasons to use jQuery. But the features it did, it did have is HTML and DOM manipulation, CSS manipulation, HTML event methods, effects and animations, AJAX, which is like a server, client-server communication, and utilities, like a bunch of different little utilities, like date and time and stuff like that. Um, it, it made a lot of things easier and obfuscated. And I say obfuscated because the main reason that I used jQuery back in the day is because how Microsoft Explorer handled something, how Safari handled something, and how Chrome handled something was very different. So if I wanted to write code that worked across all three browsers without jQuery, I would have to essentially write three separate functions, detect which browser I'm using, and inject those functions in and use the function that that, that works for it. Now, I still did that to a certain degree with very specific things, but jQuery allowed me to not have to do that for literally like any, every function that I would have to write or every DOM manipulation that I would have to do. You know what I mean? And 
that was something that I really appreciated for jQuery. Like I, I have nothing but respect for jQuery because of how easy it made my transition into JavaScript. It really did teach me a ton of paradigms that later JavaScript and other frameworks like React, Vue, and Svelte adapted. Right. Like it was, it was an OG of the, of the OGs and it did a ton of stuff really well. But as JavaScript matured, it started to learn from jQuery, in my opinion. Uh, and I think this is documented, but it started to learn from jQuery and it started to consolidate the stuff that jQuery did into JavaScript itself. So HTML and DOM manipulation became easier. CSS manipulation became easier. All like fetch got built in. So you didn't need Ajax. Like animations got easier in CSS and JavaScript. Like everything that jQuery kind of did became almost just as easy in JavaScript. So it became the situation where if you were starting a new project, it just didn't make sense for you to jump into jQuery. That, that was where, where it was at. Yeah. That- there was an example, actually, a prime example. Um, I was going to mention when you mentioned Ajax, which was, I remember you and I were, I forget we were building something. I think we were actually building a Chrome extension and we couldn't have multiple pages or something. There was some sort of limitation. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I needed to do something which would cause the little page to refresh. And I believe it was closing our extension and, you know, causing a problem that way because it was incompatible. And I looked up Ajax and they were like, oh, just, you know, boot up jQuery and do it this way. And I will say at the time, at the very least, not that I've done Ajax recently, but um, the, uh, the what do you call it? The, the vanilla JavaScript way of doing it, X8C request or whatever it is, um, is, I think that's right, is it was very cumbersome. And I did it that way, uh, just so that I didn't have to load in the jQuery library, but you can see there the allure of jQuery and this almost leads to not just jQuery itself, but grabbing for a tool every single time you need something, it leads to almost the WordPress plugin hell in vanilla or like not vanilla, but like, I guess you could say fully custom where it's like, oh, I loaded jQuery for this and a Lightbox library for this. And you know, this, like, it just gets to the point where you start getting a little bit of that plugin hell. And so if you're able to just do it in JavaScript, which I had to do in, in our particular case, uh, due to limitations of the platform, but, you know, it may, it, jQuery did basically just make JavaScript's UX better. And now JavaScript vanilla is, is catching up. It's catching up to that, that UX experience, like a better one. So, you know, it maybe it's not needed anymore, this and that. But uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure there was actually like a pretty big story, or at least it was shared with us, that I think it's WordPress updated the jQuery that it uses. And that was like a huge deal. So jQuery ain't going anywhere, you know, anytime soon. But it's not then to be the most used thing. And it is, let's say, kind of depending on how dependent you are on it, it is sort of easier or easy to drop. Yeah, exactly. I think this out of all of the ones that we talk about today, it's one of those ones that is like, it's fair to say it's on the decline, but with all due respect, like it, it did its job and now it's kind of going away into the zeitgeist, which is perfectly fine in my opinion. Yeah, sort of like how pagers aren't like we use phones, not pagers. Exactly. And fo- and pagers did their job really well at the time. So that's And, the thing. and now like, they're niche. Now they're exactly. niche for on-call personnel. Exactly. And jQuery will always be around in my opinion, and it will always have that niche, but it'll it'll slowly kind of decline. But anyway, I'm going to quickly move on to the next uh, to the next one right here, which is Ruby on Rails. Uh, I haven't used Ruby that much, but it does have kind of 
it does have its hold in the web development industry. And it's not talked about that much, which is surprising to me because there's a lot that it does right. But I'll ha- I have a theory on why these kinds of frameworks like Ruby and Angular aren't as popular to talk about. Essentially, Ruby, uh, I'll, I'll say that theory later. Sorry, that, that was a little bit of a hang. But Ruby is a is based on simplicity and code readability. It's a, it's a very readable language. It's designed so that it's kind of like a Python-esque, uh, a Python-esque experience for the front end and back end web development, web development phase. It's object oriented in, in all object oriented sense. Uh, it's model view controller supported. So that's a very traditional way of developing applications. If you're coming from something like Java or C sharp, you're very familiar with that. And that it, it kind of leveraged those, developers, in fact, to be able to kind of get into the ecosystem. Because a developer coming in right now going to JavaScript, they're not going to know MVC. So that's maybe another reason why Ruby on Rails isn't as popular. But a developer from, you know, 10 years ago or seven years ago uh, that learned solid development fundamentals coming up through university or coming up through like traditional um Traditional education and through traditional means of like going to a company, going to companies working on enterprise software, that's where MVC kind of stands out because it allows you to write really reusable code. It allows you to write code that can be worked on by a bunch of different people all at the same time. So like it, it, it's a, it's a foundational element to large enterprise level programming languages. That's not really talked about that much in terms of the web development zeitgeist. But that's what, again, another reason that web, that Ruby on Rails is a very powerful language, uh, for large companies and large companies that still use Ruby or at least use it at some point are something like Twitter, Shopify, GitHub, Airbnb. Like we're talking, you know, massive unicorn companies still using or, or have used Ruby on Rails to get started. And it's because it's, it's designed for enterprise level. Right. It's designed to be very all tools included and scaffolding included, very opinionated. Right. So when I say that, I mean, like when you need a back end route. So let's say you need a, a, a route to go to a certain page or something like that. And you need that page to have certain functionality and certain authentication or something like that. All of that can kind of can be done and scaffolded initially from a CLI that Ruby includes. So from the command line interface, you can you can set like it. When you set like a file, when you, when you create a file in Ruby through the CLI, it'll do all of the scaffolding in terms of backend connecting to the front end, everything for you. You don't have to worry about, you know, I have to create this file in this folder. I have to create this file in this folder. I have to create this connection between the file. It kind of does all that for you. There's a positive to that because you don't have to worry about all those different connections, but there's also a negative in my opinion where if it does it for you every time, especially when you're just starting out, you kind of have to go in there and learn how all those connections work. And there's like Ruby is not super simple in the sense that those connections are trivial. Like there is multiple files to every component, uh, multiple ways that they can be manipulated, where you put the different stuff. That's the whole thing with MVC too, is like it does break, break apart your components, your views into multiple different files on purpose. Because again, it's all designed for being able to work on it as a team rather than a single individual. So that's, that's the way you have to kind of think about these things where like, it's not just you doing it. Like you yourself, unless you're really already advanced with Ruby, don't need Ruby on Rails to build up your portfolio site. Like that's not going to be, that's not going to be the, 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 you know, the, the framework of choice for someone just starting out in development alone or doing a, you know, a five pager. It's just doesn't make sense. 
But for an enterprise level application with a hundred developers, you need to be able to break apart every little thing so that, you know, the developers that are really good on database level communications can only work on database level communications and not intersect and not uh, com- conflict with the people that are working on views and the people that are working on the logic, the business logic behind the views. That's the big reason for Ruby on Rails and, and frameworks like Ruby on Rails that exist. It's because they have this all tools in one designed to be used by an entire team of people. And, um, and yeah, and I think, again, it's, it's another one of those situations where if you're a developer learning right now, a junior developer, Ruby is a little bit hard to wrap your head around because of the situation. It's not designed for the junior developer, right? Like it's not, it's not meant for you to build your portfolio site on. It's not meant for you to share about on Twitter because it's designed to be a tool for a large corporation to use to create an application that's fully functional and that can be, you know, a developer can come in and understand what's going on right off the bat. I remember oh. hearing about Ruby like just as something, just as a, a coding language that was uh, simple and had all the code readability uh, that Python had actually. I'd heard of it compared to Python's readability. And that's honestly it. I've had so little um, exposure to it. I think I've used I used a website one time. It was like a it was like a little tech demo or something where they were trying to, I guess, defend Ruby and saying it was still relevant. This and that, and they said like, oh, like this runs on Ruby. This runs on Ruby. It was like a website that list. It was like a I guess a resource I would say like this big website runs on Ruby. This big website runs on Ruby. This one does too. And then one of those big ones that exact week just left Ruby. So. <laughs> I don't know what the the status of Ruby on Rails is. It might be, you know, immensely popular. It might not be, but that's just my exposure to it. Very, very little uh, talking in passing, seeing a site here and there. And I think I, I think I took notes about in like the first, the, my first app tutorial once to like kind of try it. And I just never tried it again. So um, that's just my exposure to it. I just don't have many comments other than that. Yeah, it's still used like it, like majorly. It's still a really big language. Again, it's just not part of the zeitgeist. That's all. Right. I don't think it's going to get back into the zeitgeist or anything like that. So it's just I, I'm glad that we talked about it, but don't expect to see a ton of coverage from us on Ruby on Rails coming for, going forward. Especially not for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So next one here is Angular. So this one. I'm going to just have a disclaimer right off the bat. I have never used Angular. And just to be perfectly honest, I don't intend to use Angular ever. Um, it's not because I don't like it. It's not because I hate I hate it as a concept or anything like that. It's just because it does everything that something like SvelteKit or Nuxt.js does. It does all those things, but it does them differently. That's, that's essentially it. So it was created by Google in 2016. Uh, Angular... Alone, like Angular, not Angular JS. This is another thing that people get really riled about. Angular is not Angular JS. They're actually very two di- very different things, both created by Google. But Angular took this radical step to being like instead of doing a small lightweight thing, kind of like React, where they they have this one component that that handles the the UI complexities. They decided to be a very opinionated, structured framework that's Java like. In the sense that, again, it's one of those like MVC frameworks where you have very, very, very opinionated structure that you have to put this here and this here and this here. All of that is like essentially designed for a developer to come into the project and know exactly what's happening because no one can do it differently. 
which is a huge positive. I'm not saying that that's not a huge positive. That is a huge thing if you're if you're talking about maintainability of a code base. Think about it like going into a React project. There's class-based React. There's you know hooks-based React. There's different ways to do both those things completely. There's different ways to to manage state. It's a nightmare. Like literally going into an old React project and having to manage it and bring it back up is very difficult, right? Because it can be done in a million different ways. Whereas if you go into an Angular project, it's one of those things where it's probably going to be done in a particular way. So you can, you can rely on that. I just don't like the particular way that they do things. And that's where it kind of comes apart for me a little bit. And that's where I'm probably not going to dive deeper into Angular. And that's, I think that's fine. I think people that use it, obviously Google uses it. It's Google's language. It's a massively used language inside of Google and other companies. It's not just Google that uses it. There's tons of other companies using it. They like it for the very reason that I said. It can, it does something similar to um, Ruby where it generates a lot of the scaffolding for you through the CLI. It's a lot more feature packed than something like React. So it has all the routing for you and it has all the, it has all the state management built into it. It has a way for you to handle state management. That's, this is the way to handle it and not like, you know, downloading whatever Redux or whatever other state management libraries are using context. There's a million different ways to do it in React. There's kind of one way to do it in Svelte, in Angular or one, one standard to do it there. You might be able to kind of majigger your way around it. Um, but yeah, like I don't have too much else to say on it because again, I have never used it. Uh, I know they Google wants to keep it updated constantly. So they release a new version every six months. I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. Like I don't like, I don't like constant uh, update cycles that have to be hit. Like I think if we go back to tech, like having to always have an updated version of Android or iOS is actually detrimental to the platform rather than them taking their time to build out a better version over a couple of years or however long they need and keeping the version that they have up to date and stable. That's to, in my opinion, a better life cycle. And that's what usually like, you know, a react like that's what normal frameworks do. I think they try to keep it. They try to keep it so that like when they need to do a release, a major release, they do a major release, but if they don't, they don't. So I don't know if a forced a forced update cycle is the best thing to do, in my opinion, but maybe it's not as bad. Again, I haven't used it. Uh, I, uh, I've never used it either, and I always get Angular confused with Laravel, and I haven't used Laravel either, so... Um Two very different things too. <laughs> oh yeah, like very different, oh. like it's, it's, but it's one of those, it's one of those confusions, right, where I'm like... Oh, it's it, that, that's Angular. Oh no, that's Laravel. And I, I, I always correct myself instantly, but my instinct is wrong, and so it's over. But I don't use it anyway, and that's it. So, yep. Before, that, before I get attacked, before I get attacked on the Laravel stuff, uh, it uses TypeScript again. That's one of those things that like people I was, tend I was about to, to get, I was about to jump on you. People, to, people tend to get heated about it, Angular. Like I've been, I've been multiple times. Like again, I've, I've talked about Svelte. I've talked about React. <laughs> I've talked about Vue. I don't talk about Angular because I don't use it, but people will constantly jump into the comments and be like, why aren't you talking about Angular? Why aren't you talking about this? Ty Angular already uses TypeScript. Like one time I literally said like, hey, I'm liking TypeScript. And someone just messaged me or mess uh, commented saying like, well, Angular uses it. And I'm like, okay, that's good. That's great. Anyway, Angular is built with TypeScript in mind. You have to use TypeScript while using Angular. In my opinion, that's pretty cool actually, because again, it, it, it gives you that consistency across code bases. So you go back to a code base, you know exactly what 
variable that is, like what it's supposed to be, rather than just the loosey-goosey implementation of TypeScript across all the other frameworks where you, if you want, you can use it. If you don't, you don't have to. Now, having said that, let's move on to the final one here, uh, which is was a surprise to me because I didn't think that no one that anyone cared about this, but apparently <laughs> COBOL. COBOL is is something that people wanted us to talk about or wanted people to talk about on like what, social media. It's fine. Uh, it was developed in 1959. It stands for Common Business Oriented Language, and it was built for mainframe computers developed by IBM. So old, old mainframes. You're, we're talking like HR payroll systems, banking systems, uh, logistics systems. Those things can run on COBOL. Right. It's a high level imperative language, which is apparently simple and self-documenting. I've read some I've read some COBOL like I went and kind of did a little bit of a deep dive into it. Uh, it's slightly self-documenting like it's a little like I mean, I guess compared to assembly, it's pretty good. Um, it's not bad. Maybe compared to Fortran as well. It's a little bit more simple to understand. Uh, it does have a lot of English words that that mean different development concepts. So that's good, but it's not, it's definitely like, it's definitely not as self-documenting as something like Python is today, but we're talking 1959 self-documenting. That's impressive still, in my opinion. Um, it has like a different way of writing the, the, the language, which is really interesting to me. It has like a program section, a division section, a section section, a paragraph sections, and then sentences and paragraphs will do something and things. I'm not going to dive into what each one of those means, but just know that it has this weird paradigm, uh, very English driven paradigm, right? Or very literature driven paradigm so that it's quote unquote self-documenting. And the, the really interesting thing for me actually uh, was that it's a column-based coding language. And what that means is essentially different character sets. So like if you were talking one line of COBOL will represent like, I don't know, 50 or 60 characters. The first seven characters would be the sequence number or the first six characters. I'm not going to go deeply into this because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but But essentially, let's just imagine the first seven or six characters are the sequence number. The line number. So you have to control your own line numbers. Every time you start a new line, you have to increment the line number by a hundred or whatever it is that you're incrementing by. And surprisingly, this was done because it was designed for punch cards. So when COBOL came out, punch cards were what people were using to program the, the machines. Like they, they weren't using hard drives or memory sticks or even the network to like go and program this mainframe. They were literally someone typing up the code in COBOL, printing it off into punch cards or someone literally going and tapping the punch cards manually. And then those punch cards were manually inserted into the mainframe to program that mainframe. It was a very manual physical process to do this digital work. Um, but the reason that it's column, like the reason that it's column based and sequence based, so you have to manually enter your own line numbers, is the fact that if someone were to drop your punch cards and they got out of order, you needed to know exactly which order to put them back in. And there was people out there that were just like, that were just reorganizing dropped punch cards like all the time. And if you don't have those sequence numbers in place, how are you going to know? So it's, I don't know, it was, it was a really cool deep dive. I appreciate people that brought it up. It wasn't just one person, like a multiple people wanted to hear about COBOL. It's still being used today. It's still kind of a popular thing because a lot of these older banking systems would take forever to be rewritten because of the security implications, because of all the other things that you would need to do to connect to all the other systems that they have, they're not being rewritten. 
they're being maintained. <clears throat> so a COBOL developer today can make like well over six figures. Just learn COBOL, learn how to make a hello world and start applying to these banking systems and hope that you don't, you know, take down the banking system, I guess. Like, I don't know. Um, I found, I, I don't know. I just found that it <laughs> found the COBOL, COBOL one really interesting to throw in there. It's definitely not web development based. It's not part of the web development discussion, really, but it is a really interesting language that if you're starting development, there is a demand for it. I'd love to know, and I'm sure there's articles on this and stuff, but I'd love to know how these interface with modern systems, because it's not like these banks don't have apps and don't have computers where the tellers use them to withdraw money and such. I'd love to know what happens. Like, I'd almost say it's an analog thing where the digital system reports something and then it almost goes into like deep storage or something on the mainframe. Like, I don't know if that's right, but what a, I'd be, oh man, like my first reaction is like, I would love to see this in a museum and I'd love to try, like I say museum and it's still being used, but I'd love to try this in a museum or like a, like a, you know, like a novelty thing where I like program a little hello world at a museum activity with these punch cards. But I can see myself be being, for some reason, if I was born earlier, I can see myself being the guy that gets assigned to always reorder everyone's dropped punch cards and just becoming a bitter old man working there for like 20 years being like, these people keep dropping their damn things here. <laughs> 6,000 punch cards, like stuff like that. Like you just keep bringing in like more and more boxes. It's like the sitcom or even just the TV show thing where it's Friday night or something. It's like 5 PM, but, but to turn off the light and someone shows up with like a big old box, of like 17,000 dropped uh, punch cards or something like that. Or you just give it to them and they drop it again. Stuff like that. I don't know why that like is the first thing that came to mind, but uh, I do know that my uncle actually uh, used to work in a company that used, or maybe still does, use co- uh, COBOL or at least some sort of punch card technology. Which is like, what are you, what are we doing? You know, like I'm I'm all for keeping things for a long time. Uh, you know, using them using things until they can't they don't work anymore. Even you know to the extreme sometimes where I repair stuff when I shouldn't, and it's you know it's a kind of a lost cause, but. You know, we're talking about how WordPress is almost like old news. And then it's like, but by the way, we got this COBOL thing and it's, you know, it's going pretty good. And it's going like, it's still going, but we're having trouble running it because the people that ran it are getting older and they're retiring. Correct. At that point, it's it's like, or dying, or yeah. it's like, it's like, if you think about this, it's like, we got Google assistants and freaking, you know, Amazon things all in our houses now. And we got smartwatches on our wrists and all this stuff like this. And, you know, we barely have moving parts on stuff short of the odd button or whatever. Uh, maybe a folding screen now, which is the new thing. But then it's like, could you imagine going in and being like, holy shit, I got to I got to open up the, the messages app and having like a punch card technology running on your phone? Yeah. Well, OK. So but to be fair. Uh, Cobalt no longer uses punch cards. Like I don't, I don't know if there's any punch card systems still in place. Like there probably is some novelty ones. I, but I'm, I'm assuming there is because this thing has been around for so long. But yeah. you're right. Like chances are that's wrong. Yeah. But like I'm just stuck in the punch card thing, having yeah. <laughs> having seen my life flash before being the punch card pickup person. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> The 52,000 card pickup. <laughs> yeah, like literally, and then the reorganizing. But it, it's still fairly modern. Like, it still gets up, kept up. Like, there is a VS Code extension that's f- fairly heavily used for COBOL. VS Code. 
It's crazy. Like it, it's insane to me. Like, but it's again, like you said, I think there's a, res- a little bit of a resurgence because the people that wrote all the applications are retired or not around anymore. <laughs> like it's just you need those systems need to be maintained or rewritten, and to rewrite them, you need to know COBOL. Because you need to know what's going on. Like, you can't just have someone come in and be like, hey, rewrite my entire banking system. But, like, you don't you don't know what the banking system is in the first place. So, anyway, like, it's it's something that might not be around in 100 years. But it's definitely around right now and probably will be around the next decade. You know, like, like now that I'm, like, off the – off being stuck on the punch cards, I wonder how modern systems digitally speak with a non-punch card COBOL system. Probably, probably fairly standardly. Like, there's probably some sort of interface, like a HTTP interface or something that someone built, uh, like a wrapper for something. So it, it's probably not as like crazy as you think, but there's definitely some nuances to it. I bet there's a lot of limitations, like how much you can data you can send and what the data has, like what format the data has to be in um, for you to send it. So it's it's interesting, but it's I I think it's been pretty modernized. That makes sense, honestly, because I mean. Like, what would a bank need to process that they wouldn't need to somehow sync to their customer? Correct. Is something that I wouldn't understand unless it's like their own investments or I don't know, something. So I guess that makes sense. I guess I'm thinking more of this thing as being so ancient that it's completely separated. But I mean, it is like you're right. It's been updated. Um, hopefully not on the punch cards as much. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yeah, an interesting and an interesting ad, though. Like, I, I like this little I was gonna say trip down memory lane, but I wasn't alive. So no. trip down <laughs> historic lane. <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for the technology. I just want to kind of summarize a little bit of the common themes here. So why this tech isn't talked about more. Right. So a lot of it is because it's just not new. Like COBOL is from 1959. So it's just not. Like Matt said, it's just not in the zeitgeist. It's just not fun to talk about. It's not a marketing thing. It's, or sorry, it is a marketing thing where the newer stuff will be talked about more because it just came out. There's stuff to learn. Everything that's been, everything that needs to be said about Cobalt has been, Cobalt has been said about Cobalt. So it's not talked about. It's not new. Other tech has come that performs better. So there's other tech that's better than Cobalt. Imagine that or, or jQuery, like I said, JavaScript came out, it's better. And this, like what I'm saying now, doesn't apply to all of the technology that we talked about, but at least like, you know, this is the summary, not easy to visually show anything. This is a big one, I think, because when you talk about popularity, a lot of like JavaScript stuff is popular because you can show it, you can show it visually manipulating the website. Right. So you can show code and then show the actual output on on the website. And it could be really nice. Like it could be a really nice marketing website doing something like animations. And that's a lot easier to sell. It's a lot easier to interact with than showing PHP on the back end, you know, sending some files over to the front end. It's tough to show that. It's tough to make that interesting. And it's tough to make that something that people want to click on or talk about or whatever. And then finally, uh, steep learning curves. The the more in-depth languages, the, the languages that have more tools in it require more learning. Like they require you to understand how those tools can interact with each other, what tools you have. They make development maybe easier in a team-based atmosphere, but to actually get running with it is a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit more of a challenge. And therefore, the, the higher barrier to entry also makes it more difficult for people to talk about it in in the uh, you know the marketing sphere, so it's a little bit it's a little bit counterintuitive because like 
you think that is more be more interesting for people to learn about more complex technologies. But really what people want, apparently, again, this is from our own experience, is the more simple like, hey, here's how you declare a variable or here's how you, you know, do a loop in JavaScript. Those those posts will do well all the time for some reason. And it's because people want more simple stuff. People want to learn things that they know they can learn. Whereas if I were to go and start talking about scaffolding an app in uh, Ruby on Rails and talking about the MVC, everything like people just tone it out or they don't want to deal with it or they get scared of it. I don't know what happens in their heads or even in my head, probably the same thing. Uh, it's just not as popular to talk about. Yeah, this really does come down to all, all about marketing, you know, all about what's in the zeitgeist and what what's exciting. And also what I think I mentioned this before was is what has been discussed and also what are we talking about versus what we're using. Um, I think a lot of this comes down to, let, let, let's say WordPress. WordPress has tons and tons of content that's even being made every day. People making guides, people making all kinds of things like that. And it's all out there. But the people that use WordPress, short of in their own teams or in their own friend group, they're not really talking about WordPress by and large. They're using it like a tool and they're Googling the problems. And so there's still that market and there's still that popularity there that drives, you know, hey, I'm stuck. I can't get the slider to work. You Google it. There's some help there. And a lot of the help is new, right? Um, that type of stuff. That type of stuff is sort of it almost replaces the uh, the initial sort of push. I find is that there's like this big marketing thing. A bunch of people start to use it, and as you add more people, there's more use cases. As you add more use cases, and obviously add more people, you have a bunch of problems show up, and then those problems get solved via content, and then everything sort of cools off, and then the zeitgeist, the sort of conversation moves on to you know whatever WordPress two or whatever. Um, you know, whatever the new thing is, and then the content creators can still keep making, you know, they can still keep making a bunch of stuff about WordPress because, or a bunch of stuff about whatever it is, because they can sort of capitalize on the fact that now there's a bunch of users. Now that that initial marketing push is kind of gone and, 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 you know, things like WordPress or MySQL or whatever are now sort of widespread. They're everywhere. They're in, they're on the host. There's one click installers. There's lots of guides. There's, there's dedicated developers that work on WordPress that don't work for WordPress, right? They work on the plugins and stuff like that. And now that marketing push is gone. Now it's all about sort of having that, having that, that community there, having those guides. And it's a very much almost an echo chamber. Whereas if you're in the WordPress community, you're probably not screaming it about it out on Twitter. Some people are, of course, you're not like yelling it out to the masses in sort of this marketing push. You're more or less in your forum or you're in your discord or you're in there because you're trying to get shit done and you really want to push things forward, push the sliders, you know, get, get this working, get that working, you know, push out a new plugin, that type of thing. And so I, I kind of feel like the, as content increases, long form content, like blogs and stuff increases, the cooling effect starts to happen in terms of the zeitgeist, if you will. And that's just an observation I've made overall. And that, that happened, that happens to be the case with a lot of different tech, not all of it, but a lot of different tech. WordPress is just one example of that. Yep, exactly. But I think um, you nailed it. All right. Uh, but did you have anything else to add there, Mike? I was about to ask you if you had anything else no, to add. So. No, I'm, I'm good to go. Let's roll up the conclusion. All righty. Well, 
Uh, if you enjoyed episodes, if you enjoy episodes like this, remember we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, the things and many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons. Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on LocalPathComputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital via BlueBlackDigital.com. Chris from Self Made Web Designer via SelfMadeWebDesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker via TheWebHacker.com. DL Ford from DLFord.io. Pip Hashtash from 9BlockMedia via 9BlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, and Edubloxians, game design for kids at edubloxians.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.